This is the MyHeart.net podcast. This show is produced by Dr. Philip Johnson in conjunction with VitalEngine.com. Please welcome your host, Dr. Elaine Bouchard of Cardiology Specialist of Birmingham, Alabama at St. Vincent's Medical Center, part of Ascension. Well, welcome to our podcast, uh, Arts in Medicine. And with us today, uh, we have um, two fabulous ladies. Um, the first one is Kimberly Kirkland, who is an artist and also director of the UAB Arts in Medicine program. Uh, the name Kirkland is very famous in Birmingham. Of course, she was preceded by her grandfather, Dr. John Kirkland, who revolutionized pretty much cardiovascular surgery uh, with the development of the heart and lung machine. And it was chairman at um, UEB Surgery, as well as her father, Dr. Jim Kirkland, who's also a friend of mine, uh, who's a cardiac surgeon at UEB and has, been, uh, has made some significant contribution in the field of uh, heart transplant. And then also we have Dr. Rachel Easterwood, who's a classical musician um, and an internist who specializes in intensive care medicine in New York City. Uh, she's famous for her segment in New York Times uh, during the height of the pandemic in, in, pandemic in 2020, uh, where she brought music and hope to her COVID patients. So uh, Rachel and Kimberly, uh, welcome to myheart.net and thank you for taking the time on this beautiful Sunday afternoon. Thank you so much. Thank you. So Kimberly, let's start with you. Um, what is exactly arts and medicine and um, how did you get involved in that? Yes, well, arts and medicine falls under the umbrella of arts and health, which of course is the use of arts and creativity to enhance health and well-being. And arts and medicine specifically uh, tends to be more focused in healthcare, but, um, but it can be done in community settings as well uh, and with various populations. But really it is um, under that umbrella of arts and health that, that aligns of course with the World Health Organization's definition of health, um, which of course we know is that it's not merely the absence of disease, but it's the health of the whole, uh, whole person. And so it al we align very closely with that. So um, I can understand how you grew up in, in the field of medicine. How did you go from being an artist to decide to, you know, get involved in, in arts and medicine? Yes. So, um, so I always knew that um, I was probably not going to be a physician um, or go into healthcare as a as a healthcare provider. But um, my passion was always. Um, uh, arts and music. Um, so I have a, a my undergraduate degrees in in music and musical theater, and I found my way into the world of arts administration. And so I had the great fortune of of starting to work at the Alice Stevens Center, which is a performing arts center, of course, and at University of Alabama at Birmingham, and uh, just fell in love with uh, being not only, of course, on stage, but also um, in administration behind the scenes. So I was able to um, go into arts education and um, really was continuously um, just in awe by the power of the arts uh, for um, 
children in schools, um, communities, and that led to uh, an exploration into arts and creative aging. So arts is a part of the, the aging process to, to keep ourselves healthy cognitively and, of course, with mobility and, and other areas. And so that was kind of a foray in 2011, and then we started a pilot program in 2013, and um, now we have a full program, of course. But but really, it's the power of the arts um, in so many different areas that um, it just if, if I could see what the arts did for people um, in education settings, um, just was really fascinated by what it could be done um, in healthcare and specifically around health and wellness. Very good. Um, Rachel, I, I, I know your parents very well, of course. And uh, they were always, um, they always thought that they were going to have a musician in their family. I mean, your whole, um, you know, development has been in with music and, and um, uh, you could almost become, you know, a, um, a concert pianist. <laughs> and all of a sudden you took this, this um, 180 degree turn into medicine. How did that yes. actually, how did it happen or how did it? Um, yes. First of all, thank you for having me here. It's great to talk to you both. Um, so it was kind of a process, the change from music to medicine. Um, I did go to conservatory for undergrad and also played professionally for a little while. Um, but I kind of became disenchanted a bit with the music um, scene professionally I sort of um, found the limit of, you know, who you could reach with classical music. I tried several things, but I sort of wanted to reach more people and quote unquote, help more people. I think, you know, my idealistic young self. Um, so I thought, well, why not go into medicine um, where you can pretty much help, quote unquote, help everyone. So I started my journey into medicine. Little did I know I would find the limits of medicine during the pandemic and then go back to music to bring to everyone then. So it's been kind of a full circle, actually. Very interesting. We know that um, for a patient that is admitted in the hospital, it can be very, uh, it can be very depersonalizing. I mean, you have like, first thing that happens is they put your, you know, personal belongings in a little plastic bag that they store, they store in the closet. Uh, and then here you are, you know, naked uh, with a hospital gown and, and with people coming in and out of your room. And during COVID, particularly even more so, uh, particularly that there was so much isolation. Uh, yeah. They were not allowed to see anybody, any of the family members, uh, any friends. Uh, so it was a very, very difficult time. Can you explain to us a little bit how, you know, what happened in, uh, during the pandemic uh, as you were treating these patients in New York City? Sure. I am. We'll preface this by saying I was in a hospital across the river from the Bronx. So we were hit particularly hard by the pandemic. At some points of the pandemic, basically the entire hospital or hospitalized COVID patients, the ICU had overflowed into our PACU, into, um, into our step-down unit. We had intubated patients on the floor. We had, you know, teens of intubated patients downstairs. I was doing ICU rounds in the ER sometimes. So we were hit very, very hard. So I um, basically just seeing, you know, we didn't know the natural course of COVID at that time. It was brand new, right? As we all know. So it was interesting and terrible at the same time to see, you know, kind of how this disease played out. We thought we were supposed to intubate patients, 
you know, as soon as possible initially, not knowing later on that most of those patients wouldn't survive. Um, and the patients that did survive had prolonged courses, four months, five months intubated in our ICU. So I sort of just, you know, we, we were at a loss because we had no real treatments that showed promise at the time. Um, so the only thing I knew to turn to in talking with my friends over Zoom during the time that are in music currently, professionally, um, we just had this idea to bring live concerts to these patients that were, as you said, isolated, um, alone, scared. They didn't know what was going to happen to them and we didn't either. Um, so we just started, first of all, playing concerts for these patients over Zoom in their rooms. And then I started to bring it to the ICU. Um, and every time I would have a shift, I would just, you know, have these concerts over Zoom and I would place the iPad in like three or four patients' rooms. And the my friends, the professional musicians would just play for hours. Um, so, and notably, I mean, I would say three of the four initial patients we did this for, I mean, I have no idea if it made a difference. I hope it, you know, brought them comfort if nothing else, but they did actually, three of the four made it out of the ICU, which is saying something. And, um, so, you know, that was actually good odds for the time. Not sure if that answered your question. It's a long winded uh, description. If everybody has a chance to kind of look up um, uh, Rachel Easterwood and the and and look at your uh, YouTube, um, you know, segment it was very very powerful. And particularly, I remember at the end you're sitting alone, you know, in front of the camera, and um, and then you're saying, "If I don't make it through this, you know, maybe this is what I was meant to do." I forgot and about that actually. I haven't I haven't watched that in a really long time. But yeah, that was definitely the sentiment. We didn't know what was happening in that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I felt like I had done what I was supposed to do. Yeah, that was followed by a very long silence, and then, and you finally looking down, you know, at the floor, and and, and of course it, it could have ended there, but but you know I think smartly enough, enough they didn't end it there. They they followed that by how music was actually not only helping the patients but also the coworkers, yes. the nurses that were there, the doctors yes. that were there. So that was very very powerful. How. A music, you know, could, can help only not only the patients but also people around you. Yes, exactly. Um, just going back to playing music for the coworkers. Um, I mean, obviously, it wasn't just the patients that were under a lot of stress and and scared and not knowing what was happening. Um, it was it was the coworkers and especially my ICU nurses. I mean, they saw the worst of the worst. People would just start, I mean, crying in the middle of shifts when we would lose patients. Um, just so many patients were lost. So, um, you know, we had the idea again, talking on the phone with my musician friends that we could just, you know, put a speaker in the middle of the ICU and have people play. <clears throat> and the nurses and I, we were the only ones there overnight where it was the nurses and me. So they really, really, you know, they would ask me, they're like, can we have music tonight? So <laughs> that sort of got us all through the, you know, the, the pandemic or the first couple of waves. Yeah, I'm sure it helped a lot of people. I'm sure so many people suffer from PTSD. Some of the hospital workers, you know, having seen so much, you know, mortality in a um, short period of time, very difficult to handle. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Kimberly, you're at UEB now, you're director of the program. How do you actually integrate arts and medicine at UEB? Yeah, 
Yes. So um, at UAB in particular, um, we have a team of um, about five artists in residence. So they're professional artists. So not to be confused with creative arts therapists. Um, These are professional artists who are um, trained to navigate the healthcare environment and to connect with people using their art forms. So what does that look like? Um, We have artists, and when I say artists, I mean the broadest possible term. So we have um, uh, people who are theater artists, storytellers, visual artists. We do have musicians who play in public spaces to enhance the um, physical environment. UAB, I will say, has an amazing music therapy department that is separate from us. And so they've had that there for for many years and they're just extraordinary, wonderful. Um, So just want to highlight them, but uh, we are a separate department, but we do have music in public spaces as well. Um, We have creative and expressive writers. And so that looks like either going to the bedside to offer um, an interaction, or we also do group workshops as well. But when an artist goes into um, a patient room, going to the bedside, really what we're looking to do is to recognize that person as a whole person. So, um, of course, we might not even know what the diagnosis is, because unless it's going to impact the way that we engage with them, um, the diagnosis does not matter to us because uh, we're not there to provide any sort of therapeutic intervention. We're there to connect them. Them, um, with who they are when they're not in the hospital. So really connecting with their, their essence, that whole person um, with hopes and dreams and family. And we use our art form as that connection. Um, and so it can look like the uh, patient may uh, be be a witness to art. So could just um, hear a story. Um, and usually when they hear a story, it creates Uh, stories for them. Um, They might then bring up a story that's important to them. Um, Or it can look like uh, engaging in um, embroidery, sewing, uh, visual art. So it might be uh, someone facilitating a creative interaction. And so that is what it can look like at the bedside. And then we do a lot of group workshops as well. So we do a lot of work in our Center for Psychiatric Medicine, um, doing um, dance and movement, um, theater, and of course, uh, visual art, and also writing as well. And uh, we do a lot actually with adolescent um, psychiatry. And so they really connect with um, those those forms of arts engagement. That's those forms of creative expression because a lot of times they might be expected to engage in um, talk therapy or or that kind of thing, but rarely do they get the opportunity to truly express themselves um, through another modality. And so that can be really powerful as well. Um, Also, we do a lot of work with uh, women with high-risk pregnancies uh, and of course, moms and dads um, who have babies in the um, neonatal intensive care unit because um, another uh, benefit of arts is of course that human connection that 
that um, that uh, that comes that happens um, in so many forms. But when you bring together a group of women who um, are, have all been in the hospital for days, weeks, possibly longer, um, dealing with a lot of uh, stress and anxiety, and um, bring them together into a group to um, create art, it also happens to. Um, create an informal support network. Um, that's not necessarily our intention, but that happens when you have people creating art, sewing, that kind of thing um, next to one another. So, so those are just some examples of what we do. We also, like I said, we have um, music and, and arts uh, exhibits in public spaces to, again, enhance that physical environment. Um, we always know something um, is working when we have um, a, a performance and um, people will stop, um, whether it's a visitor, a patient, um, or a healthcare provider, um, stop and, and take some video um, in the hospital of, of a performing artist, because that tells us that's kind of taking them outside of that, um, you know, that hospital healthcare space. Um, and one thing we do that's really fun that, um, y'all might appreciate. We, um, every year we do something called medical music day. Um, so we've done it for, uh, three or four years pandemic, of course, uh, kind of threw things off a little bit for us, but we do Medical Music Day where we engage um, healthcare professionals, administrators, medical students, nurses, anybody who has some impact on patient care, environmental services, facilities and maintenance, but we invite them um, to, uh, if they have a musical talent, to perform in the um, lobbies and public spaces, and we ask them to wear whatever uniform they wear to work, and we put their name and, and what they do in the hospital up there as well, so that um, it really humanizes um, the, you know, the staff. And so patients and families can see, oh, wow, maybe that's my doctor or that's my future doctor. And, and one, you know, and, and they do things other than, than just patient care. So, um, so we, we do that as well. And, um, but yes, really just to enhance healing and to enhance the physical environment as well. So if you're a doctor working at UAB, how do you how do you get, um, you know, arts and medicine involved? I mean, is something you, you you write an order for it or or you discuss with, you know, the case manager? Or? Yeah, so um, there are a few few ways. So we are um, people can uh, do a consult or referral um, for arts and medicine, medic medicine services through the um, electronic medical record. Um, so we, we do see um, patients that way. We do have units that we go to regularly, um, but we also, um, you know, people, people know us. And so sometimes different groups will engage us um, to do um, some, some uh, self-care kind of work uh, to support, um, you know, the healthcare staff on healthcare providers. So we support um, providers and healthcare staff as well. That's part of our mission. Um, but for example, coming up this week, there are um, it's National Nurse Practitioner Week, I believe. And so, um, so one unit wants to celebrate two of their nurse practitioners. So um, we're working with them to do some sort of um, engagement with them and um, something celebratory. So, so yeah, so we, we um, have information around the hospital uh, 
of course, what we provide is free to, um, to everybody. And um, yeah, so we, we always get excited when people reach out to us to support their, their work and their needs. I'm sure you're going to get very busy during the holidays because, you know, who wants to be in the hospital during the holidays? So, you know, having something like arts and medicine, um, probably very timely and, and healing, you know, at the same time. Rachel, uh, you know, post-pandemic, I mean, obviously now you're an intensivist. Uh, have you carried, you know, forward some of these, um, some of the steps that you took into bringing, you know, music and uh, art in your environment in New York? So personally, um, I haven't done a lot of work. Um, however, um, my musician friends and co-collaborators uh, during the pandemic have actually taken this new project called uh, Project Music Heals Us. And they've, I think they're currently in about 20 or more medical centers, like major medical centers across the U.S. right now. So they're actually officially making this um, you know, a, a movement actually. So for me, uh, you know, I was the primary go-to during the pandemic for the music and the medicine. And it's just hard to keep up with both of those things, um, day to day, especially the hospitals I'm working in right now are more community hospitals and really busy clinically. So I'm pretty much just running around, um, doing medicine things, um, during my work days or nights. But I think one thing that Kim, you were talking about, just you know, looking at the patient, the patient as a whole person. I think that is something that really um, is so important, and really gets people lose sight of that. Doctors lose sight of that um, in, when patients are staying in the hospital or just in general. And I think, I think that's just something that's really lovely and something to try to keep in mind. And I really try to keep that in mind on my day to day practice. Very good. Well, let me ask both of you then, um, can art heal? I mean, obviously we don't expect art, you know, to treat cancer, but you know, in what ways uh, art helping in medicine? Well, I think that um, we already kind of covered this, but it, music, for example, or any type of art where the patient can participate, meet other people, or just, um, you know, get their mind off of the hospitalization. I think that provides a level of comfort, um, which, you know, it depends on what you believe. But I personally believe that if you can make a patient feel comfortable, like a human, you know, that they are during their stay in the hospital, I think that definitely helps in healing. I don't know how much, I don't really care how much, if they think it helped them, then it, it helps. So that's, that's the way I think of it. Yeah, and, and I'll just uh, add to that because I, of course, agree with Rachel completely. Um, but I would say um, also that we certainly talk about healing versus curing. Um, and yes, I, I agree that we're not going to be curing any, um, any diseases, uh, cancer with the arts. However, it, it is healing. Um, it can help with um, meaning making. Um, it can provide people with a sense of purpose, um, self-transcendence. I'm certainly, uh, I always, whenever I'm in a, a setting, seeing um, a beautiful music performance with, uh, you know, a, an audience, I experience that self-transcendence 
regularly. Um, people talk about flow, flow as a part of um, creative practice. And so that is very um, healing. And of course, that human connection, as we know, um, isolation can lead to early mortality. And so all of these things, there is evidence base that supports that um, those, those provide healing for for people, and it also happens that the arts um, can create that as well. So, I believe they—it's um, a perfect marriage between the two. I think that's very well said. And I mean, there's so many reports on on improvement in pain management as well as you know increasing resilience. Um, you know, we always say that in the medical treatment, you know, really half of the treatment is coming from the person, you know, uh, from from themselves. And and I think arts and medicine really kind of helps, you know, develop that and, and really kind of culture that and um, helping, you know, the medicine, you know, working in these patients and, and having good outcome, you know. But what's it, uh, what's in the works from in the future? What kind of research is, is going on in that field, uh, Kimberly, um, in particular, uh, in your program at UAB and, and uh, you know, Rachel as well, if you had, you know, kind of some input into that. So personally, personally, I think I'm given a lot more credit than I should regarding, you know, the evidence of music and medicine, um, et cetera. I really am not currently, you know, abreast of the research um, in that area. Um, so Kim, I'm curious to see what you have to say about this. Yeah, well, um, so there, there is growing research. Um, the field is, is really continuing to expand. So the field of arts and medicine per se is about 30, 35 years old. Um, but it's been really increasing over the last, I would say, 10 years. Um, there are a couple, um, Two of my favorite arts and health researchers are um, Dr. Jill Sankey, and she's out of University of uh, Florida. Um, and then there's also Dr. Daisy Fancourt, who is at University College London. Um, she's a, a psychoneuroimmunologist, and she does some really amazing work looking at um, all different types of, of art. One of my favorites um, is a study she did, small study, but um, looking at the impact of group singing on um, not only quality of life, because there's, of course, lots of um, research on quality of life in the arts, but but really on how it impacts the, um, the immune system and immune function. It, of course, reduces cortisol levels, but also different um, uh, immune function uh, indicators have were improved after basically three months of of group singing and so um and then of course music therapy has a has a some wonderful research around it but dr daisy fancourt actually did a scoping review of the impact of arts and health for the world health organization the european division um in 2019 and um found that um while there's still much more work to be done in the field um it really can help um 
with the um, kind of delay onset of, of mental illness and help with the management of mental illness. It can also be um, an, an important factor and helpful in the treatment of both acute um, care and end-of-life care. Um, and it also can help with um, age-related physical decline. Um, there's some great uh, groups. There's the Sound Health Network that um, Renee Fleming, the of course famous opera singer, she's a part of. That's also um, the NIH is is a part of that. Um, there's also Epi Arts, which is from the University of uh, Florida, where they're looking at. Um, the impact of arts on uh, health and community. And then there is also at Johns Hopkins, the um, Arts Minds Lab. Um, and uh, particularly, um, they've got something called Neuro Arts, where they're really, um, they're doing a lot around um, just measuring really the impact of the arts on, on many, many different areas um, of, of health. So, so it's very exciting time to be in arts and health because the the uh, research continues. And actually, UAB Arts and Medicine, we have a, a wonderful partnership with the School of Health Professions, particularly occupational therapy. So we've got um, a, a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts, really looking at um, the impact of a twice-weekly theater class program for senior adults over a 10-week period um, to look at the impact or possible impact on um, cognition and mobility. Um, and it's a controlled uh, study. So we're still in the midst of that. Um, we're also, um, we did uh, uh, working on a study that was it's around express writing. Um, and so that is a 10-week um, program for people with spinal cord injuries um, to look at the impact of expressive writing on uh, grief, quality of life, um, satisfaction with life. So that's another thing we're working on. And um, we've got some other projects. We've got an ongoing project that I'm hoping to wrap up, um, but looking at a, a twice weekly um, embroidery um, interaction for women with high-risk pregnancies, just to look at how that impacts um, patient experience, which we know is very important for um, hospitals and reimbursement. Um, and so looking at um, the effect of that, it's a controlled study as well. Um, and um, also kind of the same thing, but with bone marrow transplant, um, a twice-weekly storytelling interaction. And that's been fun because that's a collaboration with, with my father's um, research group. So, um, so that's, I'm really hoping we wrap that up. We're, we're hoping to get a um, total of a hundred patients enrolled in that. Um, and so we're getting close, but. Wow. That's so, so amazing. That's so yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's really incredible. It looks like future of arts and medicine is very bright. I mean, there's so many projects, so many research going, it's pretty amazing, you know. Well, Kimberly uh, Kirkland and, and uh, Rachel Easterwood, thank you so much for uh, joining us today uh, for this podcast on arts and medicine. I feel like at the end, we should have Rachel play us, uh, you know, a piano a piece from, you know, Mozart or Beethoven. I need forewarning for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, plus uh, you see that you're in the kitchen and nowhere near your piano. <laughs> so. Let me find my piano. No, it's not in the kitchen. Yeah. 
Thank you very much. And, um, you know, we really appreciate your help. What a great work uh, you're doing both in the ICU um, and uh, Kimberly um, at uh, UAB. You know, congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. To learn more from our team of cardiologists, please visit us at myheart.net. You can also follow us on social media by searching myheart.net on Facebook and Twitter. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss our next episode.